Lord, you're so good. God, you're... Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, you, you've gone before us in this moment, God, and you see our hearts. You know, you know the deepest meditations of our hearts. You know the deepest, darkest thoughts in our minds, Father, and still you love us and still you sent your son for us. God, I pray this morning that someone in this room, Father, would call you Lord for the very first time. God, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us who you are in a brand new way, God, that we would see you in a new light, that our perspective would change, God, as we read scripture. God, I pray that you would let it penetrate our hearts, God. God, that you would just awaken us to your presence, God, because you've already said that you would be here, God, but I pray that you would make us aware. Help us to become aware of who you are, what you're doing, God, in our lives, and I pray, God, that you would, you would bring uh, just supernatural unity in this place. God, that you would unify us at the heart, God, that every, every race, God, every socioeconomic class, everybody in this room, God, would just be unified around the gospel. So, Father, I pray this morning, God, that the gospel will be preached clearly, God, that people would hear it, God, and people would respond to it, God. We love you, and we just ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts 2 is where we're at. If you know me, you know I like Acts 2. Okay, so um, Acts 2, 42 through 47, to be more precise. But we're not going to start there, but I promise you we're going to get there. Okay, so, um, so last week, as you can see on the screen, we started our, our, our uh, current series that's called Witness. And Witness is basically where we're going to be digging into the book of Acts and looking at how God empowered his church, literally breathed his presence into the church and what he's called us to do in response to that power and in response to that. And what it looks like is last week we talked about how Jesus had had risen from the dead and he empowered his church and he called them witnesses. It says, you will receive power from my Holy Spirit to be my witnesses throughout the ends of the earth, through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then we said that someone, this is one of our points, there was two points last week. One of our points was that, that anyone or someone who has experienced the gospel shares the gospel. There's, there's no way around that. That is a scriptural, you look at scripture, that's what happens. Someone receives the gospel, they give the gospel away. They share it. The second thing is, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, when the Holy Spirit is in you, it works itself out of you through the mission of God. The Holy Spirit in you works the mission of God out of you. And there's no such thing as a Christian who is on the sidelines. You may be um, tested for a time. You may be uh, um, being built up for a time, but you're never not working for the kingdom. You're never not trying to get to the Lord because hear this, salvation is an allegiance to Christ. And that's hard for us to understand in our democracy and our type of government, but a king demands allegiance. A king demands obedience. A king demands surrender and submission because when you come before a king and you say, I I, I worship you and you alone, you're my king and 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 he is over you, everything you have is his. Your land, your home, your your livestock, your crops are his and and it's all his. And listen, if you're saved in here today, let me tell you, I can promise you this through scripture, Jesus has saved you for a purpose. He has saved you for a purpose. It wasn't just for you can get wed and then you can go out and, and live your life a little bit better than you did before. Jesus did not save you so that you can be a better version of yourself. Jesus saved you so that you can be a new creation. And it's important that you understand that because Jesus saved you. He died for you to put you on mission. He didn't die for you so that you can just live your life how you want to in freedom, hallelujah. No, he saved you so that you could be on mission because he put a specific set of gifts in you that would edify the body of Christ and build it up. And it's important that we understand that God sent Jesus to save you to change the world around you. He saved you to change the world around you because I want to tell you this morning is that you know people in your life that I'll never experience. I'll never know them. You know people in your life that our staff will never know, come in contact with, but I want to tell you what, he's put people in your life that you're supposed to reach, and it's important that you do that. So as we look at this, as we look at Acts 2, we're going to look at the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church. We're going to look where Jesus went from being with them physically to being inside all of them. And it's awesome. It's going to be great. We're going to have fun. So Acts 2, verses. we're going to start in verses 1 to 2. We're going to read it. We're going to read it kind of slow, if that's okay. And and some parts of this today is going to be more, listen, I'm going to try, okay? We're going to try to teach some, okay? I'm going to try to slow down. I'm not going to promise, but I'm going to try. Acts 2, 1 and 2. Okay, so here we go. Let's read it. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Um, some, some 
Theologians believe house meant temple. Some people think they were in the temple just figuring out what's happening. Some people think they mean they're in the upper room. There's a lot of debate on that. And so I'm going to leave that to y'all and y'all personal study to, to figure that out. Okay. So if you're me, if you're like me, I read this as a new Christian. I'm like, what the heck is Pentecost? Right? Anybody else? Just me. Okay. All right. Just me. All right. Well, so listen, I wrote my whole sermon about this, so I'm just kidding. So... <laughs> So Pentecost, like what is Pentecost? And so last week we looked where Jesus had, had, had died or had risen from the dead and he was resurrected and he, and he saw that 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus, he, was on, he, he, he left the disciples with a mission and a promise. So he left the disciples, this is your mission, but don't worry, I'm gonna go with you. So he says, you go, I'm going with you, but wait for me for a little while longer, just wait for a minute, okay? And then 10 days, though, what the believers do? They met together, they just stayed there, and they prayed together, they waited, and they prepared. Prayed, waited, prepared. Prayed, waited, prepared. Because they knew that they couldn't do anything without Jesus. They knew they couldn't do anything without the Spirit. And then the Jewish festival called the Pentecost came. Pentecost literally means 50th day. 50th day. And if you look at it in Scripture, you can look in Leviticus chapter 23. Do not turn there now because it's such a deep, deep hole you'll go down. Pentecost, 50, it means 50th day. And what it was, it was a celebration by the Jews on the 50th day after Passover as a celebration of the renewal of the covenant that God had made with Noah and with Moses. And if, and if you take some time and you look in um, at the festivals and the feasts of the Old Testament, and what I was reading this week and learning, man, it's incredible. You'll see that the calendar of the Jewish feast in Leviticus 23 is a literal outline of the work of Jesus. I'm like, man, this is amazing. I, I knew that, but I didn't know it. You know does that make sense? It just kind of came alive. It was it's a foreshadowing. And so I'm looking at this. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like, that's, and, th and this is why we tell our kids, this is why we tell our students, this is why I tell you to read the, read the Bible. Every single book in the Bible is, is whispering Jesus' name. Every single book in the Bible is talking about Christ in some way. And it's important that we understand that we can't just read this Bible and check the box. We need to study it. What does this mean? Leviticus 23 relates to the Gospels? What? That doesn't make sense. Like, listen, we need to read it and understand it and grasp it. And so if you look and study some of the Old Testament, Leviticus, some of the, what is the Passover? It's, the, it's a picture of Jesus' death as the Lamb of God. Summary, okay? And then came the Feast of First Fruits. It was a picture of the resurrection from the dead. It was, it was a picture of Jesus being raised from the dead. If you look in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so he touches on that. It just, it's hidden in Scripture, man, all over the place. I love the Bible. And so then 50 days, okay, 50 days comes the Feast of Weeks. And if you look at the Feast of Weeks in the Greek, it, it says Pentecost. And so if you look what Pentecost is, it portrays or it foreshadows the coming of the church age, the formation of the church when the Holy Spirit would fill and empower the church. And so what I love about that is, is it's so cool how the Bible all is pointing to this time. And so let's read verses two and three again, or two again and three for the first time. So um, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. While they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And so there's a lot of imagery here. If you read through this, you're like, what is happening? I don't understand any of this. What is a tongue of fire? Right? It's like, what's happening? And so there's a lot of, of beautiful imagery, and I love it because, first of all, if we're Christians in here today, put yourself in this place for a minute, right? All of a sudden, a, a violent wind happening, but there's not really a, a, a wind. It was just a sound of a wind. It's like, what's happening? And then you see these tongues of fire. All this stuff's happening. It's like, what's going on? Because I'm, I'm telling you, if, if something happens in this room and I see a tongue of fire over your head, I'm probably going to try to put it out. Okay. <laughs> something, it's, it's, it's weird. We got to understand this is strange stuff happening here. These guys were like amazed. And so if you look deeper into this, if you look for the references to winds and to fire in this place, you'll see that they're very significant and need to be looked at in Scripture. You need to dig into these a little bit. So write these down and look at them, study them. Because the word for spirit here is pneuma. And pneuma, is a, is, is, when it's translated, is, it's the same as wind. And it, it, they both mean breath, a breath. So it's literally like God was breathing into the room. How intense is that? That's amazing. I'm like, yes, Lord, breathe in this place. Come on. And so just like God, and this is what I, I love. I was like, just like God, I looked at Genesis 1, just like God had breathed into the creation in the beginning, God was literally breathing life and power into the church now. 
He was breathing power into the church now and on the day of Pentecost. And what he does, just a little bit of a celebration. We had a, 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 I'm not even sure how old he is. He got saved this morning here before service started. Well, I'm guessing seven or eight. I don't know. Where is he at? Nine. I was close. He got saved this morning. That's awesome. And so just like that, the Spirit of God blew into his life when he received Christ. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fills his body now. And listen, the tongues of fire are portrayed, are, 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 this is a little bit different. It's a little bit, you know, kind of gets kind of hairy in some churches, but the tongues of fire is, are a portrayal of God's presence. Anytime in the Old Testament when God comes into place, a lot of times, not always, it's fire. He's, he, he's represented by fire. And no believer in that room, in that, in that upper room or in the temple, wherever, wherever they're at, no one was exempt from that experience. Everybody said, it says they said the flame separated and came to rest on every person in the place. And so instead of God's presence being in one spot, it was now on 120 spots. And then later, 3,120 spots. And now millions and millions and millions of spots. But so the question is, are we quenching that fire or are we flanning it into a flame? And I, that's what is so cool. And if you remember back when John the Baptist was, was preaching on the earth, he was preaching a message of repentance. Remember we talked last week about in Mark where the repentance is the beginning of the gospel. Repentance has to be the beginning of turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. And one of the things that John the Baptist says in Matthew chapter 3, he says, I baptize you with water for what? For repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. And so you look here, this is exactly what was happening. And basically what John is saying is Jesus is coming and when he ascends into heaven, he will put his spirit inside of you and the presence of God will reside in you. And when you come together as the church, it'll be the perfect picture of Jesus. That's the heart behind the church. And you look, look, let's, look, let's read further. Let's read verses 4 through 11. Let's keep going. He says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Oh, boy. As the Spirit enabled them. I'm, listen, I ain't scared of nothing. We'll hit this head on. <laughs> Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each, of, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask, after aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hear them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Edomites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, I don't know, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. I should have practiced those names before I came up here. Both Jews and converts of, Ju of Judaism, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. From day one, this is awesome stuff's going on. And I'm looking, and I see from these verses of Scripture that an evidence or a sign in this context, in this moment, of the Spirit's baptism and the Spirit's feeling of those 120 believers were them speaking in tongues to declare the praises of Jesus. And so if you look deeper into this, the Greek word used in this passage is dialecto, which means language. It means language. It means it was a known language. There are other places in Scripture that that is not the case. But in this case, this is talking about a known language. So we see these tongues were undoubtedly other human languages. They were unknown to the speaker, but they were known to the hearer. And that was a sign that 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 totally validated that everything that was going on that was being spoken. And what this means, you look at this, is all these, Jew, all these Jews and who were followers of Judaism were in Jerusalem at the time for these, big th these three feasts, and they, and they were there, and they're like, what is going on? Because aren't these Gal Galatia? Well, what is happening? These, these, are, these are not people who should be speaking my language. And so most of them would have been very fluent in Aramaic or Greek because of their faith, in, in Judaism, and, and they, but they also had native tongues from all over the known world. They had all their native tongues that people in Jerusalem probably didn't know. And so if you look deeper into this, and these were the languages that the church was speaking in that moment. These were the languages that were being spoken. And so now we need to dig a little bit deeper. I told you a little bit of teaching before we get going into this too deep, but um, we need to look at some key theological points here uh, that, that according to Scripture, the filling with the Holy Spirit is different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are two different things I'm going to show you in Scripture. 
First of all, the Spirit's baptism, it occurs once a believer, once for every believer at the moment of salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is a non-repeatable thing. No one has ever spoken of in Scripture of, uh, as, as receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit more than once. You can look in Acts 11. You can look at Romans 6. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12, Colossians 2 to kind of get some of that. But look, if you look in the, the, at the Greek where I told you to study, all this stuff, this is like this connection 101. Here we go. The, the, Greek, the Greek word for in this scripture for baptism is going to be baptizo. It, is, it has two meanings. The, one's very literal and one's figurative. The, the literal word for baptizo is, it means to submerge. And you can see whenever someone goes from death to life in Christ, we baptize them. What do we do? We submerge them and then we bring them back up for a little bit longer for the different ones that need it longer. But look. But the figurative one, the figurative baptism, the figurative baptism means that, that, that it means to be identified with. It means to be identified with. And if you look at that, the baptism of the Spirit in the, in the act of God is, is the act of God where he identified believers with Jesus. He identified, these are my people, basically. These are my followers. This, this is my church. And that's what happened. And historically, this took place at Pentecost, as we just read, but today it takes place every time a sinner trusts Jesus and is born again. That's what it looks like. You look further in Scripture. The Spirit's filling is, is a little bit different. We see this happening many times in Scripture. We see it happening. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time where, where the Holy Spirit would come on someone for a specific purpose and fill them with power for a specific purpose to carry out the mission. You can see it in Acts 4. You can see it in Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 9, Acts 13. And I can keep going. A lot of chapters in the Bible. But on the day of Pentecost, what we see is the, the believers, they were both filled and baptized at the same time to do the works that Jesus was calling them to do for the sign of the church being fulfilled. And so the baptism of the Spirit, let's, let's, re, let's review. The baptism of the Spirit is what joined them to the church and, and formed the church. The feeling of the Spirit is what was the experience that was the power that was on display where everybody was like, what language, how do they know my language? How do they, how do they know? How, God, there's something's going on here that's different. And that's what it looks like. And so... We could go on for three weeks about this, but I'm going to move forward. But another amazing factor that we can look at here, it says in there, if you look in verse 5, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And so I'm like, man, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people groups. That's a lot of different areas. And so the gospel on the first day was proclaimed to all nations. How awesome is that? It's awesome. That's, that's the heart behind our church. And so then you look for 27 verses as any good evangelist would do, Peter goes on and preaches the gospel message, and at the end of it, there's conviction. Conviction, they were cut to the heart. People are like, what do we do? Like, I, I crucified Jesus? Wait, 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 what? I, what do I do? And Peter says, repent for your sins. Put your faith in Christ and be baptized. And that we, we've read this a few times, the, that 3,000 people responded to the gospel. 3,000 people responded to the gospel. That is a great day at church. Great day on the street evangelizing. That is a great day of preaching any way you cut it. And so you look further, and everybody loves this, these scriptures on 30, verse 42 to verse 47. And here's the description of the church. After those 3,120 people are preached the gospel to, they receive Christ, and now they are living in community together. And so let's look at this together as we have so many times before. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There was unity. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. There was generosity. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They worshiped together. They broke bread in their homes, hallelujah, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This, this word for sincere can be translated as generous as well. So make a note in your Bible if you have that. Sincere can be translated as generous more closely. 37, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord. Underline the Lord. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And I just want to do a little side note here. The Lord added to their number, not them. It wasn't a program. It wasn't a, a Bible study. It wasn't something that they were doing the Lord added to their number. The people were obedient. 
the Lord adds to their number. I was in my connect group this past week, and we got on the topic of evangelism. Imagine that with the Bible study that we're doing. And so we got on the topic of evangelism, and, and a guy was, was, was sharing, and it was like he was sharing frustration about evangelism. And God put it on some people's hearts in our, in our, our group. Like, and it's so simple, and you all know this, but the enemy tries to lie to you, okay? Evangelism, success in evangelism is not somebody getting saved. Success in evangelism is sharing the gospel, okay? And so that's where we get thrown off sometimes. I don't know enough to share the gospel because nobody's going to come to the Lord with the amount of knowledge that I have where you're undercutting the Holy Spirit's work in your life, man. Let it go. Okay, we're going to go in a different way. Okay, so looking back in verse 42, you see they devoted themselves to four things. Those four things are where I'm going to spend the rest of my time on today because they are so important to the life of any church who has been filled with the Spirit, who has been baptized with the Spirit, who is living on mission. There are four things that I want us to focus on. But if you look at the second word in that verse, first verse in 42, it says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And that thing kept sticking out to me this week. Kept sticking out, sticking out. What does it mean to devote yourself to something? I'm thinking, just think right now, is there anything in your life that you're devoted to? Like devoted. I'm not talking about like I have a loose connection to it over here. I'm not talking about I love the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm not talking about I like the Atlanta Falcons. I'll pray for you. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about like you are devoted to it. Like you give your life for it. I'm, everything I have is, 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 is going towards that. Uh, where, where, what does it look like in your life? Is there anything in your life like that? Some people might say my wife or my husband, I hope. Some people might say you know, all these different things, but what in your life are you devoted to? It literally means to give yourself to. I'm giving myself to something. And listen, if you put that in this context, they saw the disciples' signs and wonders that God was doing through them. They, they heard the truth that was being shared, and the gospel and the Holy Spirit never work alone. They work together. And in that moment, we saw the gospel and the Holy Spirit coming together and convicting hearts. We saw people getting saved, and now they're like, now what? So you have 3,120 people, brand new creations, fertile soil. So they started meeting together and they have devoted themselves to these four things. And why do they do that? All these four things are in response to the gospel. And so my question this morning, why are you in church this morning? Why are you here? I asked you that earlier. Is this something that you do? Because I want to tell you right now, long gone are the days of the Sunday Christian. Let it sink in. There's no more Sunday Christians. That day is going away. It's time for the church to stand up. And, it's, and I feel like God has drawn a line in the sand of, of follow me or don't. You're either hot or cold. There's no lukewarmness. It's time to follow. And then what this is saying in Scripture, as I look at this, if you really believe the gospel, then the church is going to be devoted to these four things. The church is going to be devoted to, to the apostles' teaching. And, and the apostles' teaching was the word of God. Was, is the apostles' teaching is what we read now as Scripture. The apostles' teaching is what they learned from Jesus. The apostles' teaching is what we should be digging into because number one is the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. God's Word is a revealing of who God is to us. God's Word reveals who He is. You want to say, hey, I haven't heard from God. God doesn't speak to me. I don't know. What's... Have you read your Bible? Have you opened Scripture or do you need to dust it off? How many Bibles do we have in this, in this church, in our home? Probably more than 10 apiece, right? A lot of Bibles. I got every translation on the map, except the King James. I'm just kidding. I do. So listen, I have all the, we have all these Bibles in my head. And do, do we read the Word? Do we read the Word? Do we consume it? Do we, like, do we read it in attempts to learn who God is? Or do we read it to feel better about being a Christian? It's important for us to understand that. And our sin... Our sin inside of us, because we all have a sinful nature, like it or not, we all have a sinful nature, and it makes us think wrong. Can we agree with that? It, it, it distorts how we think. It deceives us. It distorts our mind. It puts us off track. The sinful nature inside of you, when left unchecked, it will fill you with sin and death. If you, if you go your own way, you will destroy your life. Without Christ, you will destroy your life. You have to, what, when, what Scripture does, scriptures, the Scripture keeps you centered. It keeps you centered. You follow Scripture, it centers you on God's will, God's word. 
Memorization is important. I, I wish I had one with me. I, I, we wrote a discipleship guide uh, to, 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 to make, help make disciples, to help you make disciples. If you've never made a disciple, this is a, it's a tool that will help you out. And every, every session in that book has a memory verse. And we're, we're, we're challenging people to memorize the, this book. She has one. Oh, yeah, I've got to have a prop. You know what I mean? This is it. If you want one, I'll give you one. And every day, there's a, oh, I didn't mean to do this. This is not a plug, but like, there's a, there's a memory verse on every day. And what that looks like, even in our witness reading plan, there, if you look at it, who's, who's looked at that? All right. Okay. Test. So every day, there's a, every week, there's a memory verse in there. And you can memorize a verse in a week, I promise. I promise. It's not that hard. A whole verse in a week, we can memorize that. And so get scripture inside of you. It's, it's so important. And, and there's not a, there's, there's, there's not a, um, there's really not a way around this of, of reading scripture and memorizing scripture. And, and the, around the, it's, there's no way around the fact that if, a, if you're a disciple of Christ, listen, you're, you're going to be a learner. You're going to want to learn more about Jesus. You're going to want to read books about Christ. You're going to want to learn about theology. You're going to want to learn about prayer. You're going to want to learn about what it means to be a disciple. Am I even in the will of God in my life? It's important that we're learning the word of God. And so my question is for you, all around the room, do you read scripture daily? Do you read it daily? I'm not talking about once a week, once a month, two years. I haven't picked it up in here. This is not a condemnation moment. But do you read it daily, Christian? If not, why not? Why don't you read it daily? Why wouldn't you read it daily? How do you survive in your Christian life if you don't do that? Because your life will be filled with lies and deception and you have a heart that's dysfunctional without feeding it the word of God. If, if we go our own way, we're gonna be dysfunctional. If you need help reading the Bible, guess what? We have a, we have a website. Thomas, can you put that up there? Look at, um, I think it's on there. There you go. Here you go. If you need help reading the Bible, we have seven reading plans to help you get started. Seven. And it comes with a devotional, and we're basically helping you out. Leave it up there. Let you write it down. If you need help getting in the Word, write it down. Go to the website. Get plugged in with that. Because our culture, out these doors out here, they want to tell you the way that you find truth is to go deeper in yourself. Find yourself. Find out who you are. Who, is, who are you? Find yourself. You know, dig in deep. What, what's God doing? Who are you? Find, never look inside. Never look inside to find yourself. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things. You're supposed to guide your heart. Don't let your heart guide you. Don't ever let your heart guide you. Let the word of God guide your heart. Run it through the filter of the word. We have to let it guide our hearts and our lives, man. You have to read it. Deuteronomy 6 says write it on your door frames. Literally, go on your door, write it on the door. Who cares? Write it up there. Psalms 119 Hide it in your hearts. Hide it in your hearts. Memorize it. Hide it in your hearts. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. Second thing, they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to each other. Christ had given himself. They had literally watched him be crucified. They had literally watched him go into the tomb and be raised from the dead. And Christ had given themselves for them, for us. And why? He had died for them. He had, he had risen from the dead. He took the, he had took the price of their sin for them. And so what did they do? They gave themselves to each other. Because Jesus gave himself, I'm going to give myself to my brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus gave himself for me. I'm going to give up my own desires, my own wants, my own dreams for the kingdom of God to be built in the church. And they did this mostly by, by meeting in small groups and homes is what I look at here, right? Hashtag connect groups. Join one today. All right. There was a big group, okay? There was a big group that met 3,000 people, Whew, lots of people. Um, and, and there was a church, like, this is a, this is a bigger group. This is, a, what, 120 people or something? This is a bigger group. But they also had these smaller groups. The bigger groups, they, they met together. What did they do? They got equipped. They worshiped together. They celebrated baptisms together. They celebrated um, what God was doing. And then what did they do? They got sent back out. And then there were these smaller groups. They were a lot smaller. We think there were probably eight to 12 that met in homes where they gave themselves to each other. And so you see that this is not about being in a connect group. If you're in a connect group in here, wonderful. But is it a checkbox? Is it something that you're just doing because Michael says, join a connect group from stage? Is it something that you're <coughs> giving yourself over to? Because it's not just about being in a connect group. It's what you do inside of that connect group that counts. And if you look around verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
You will start seeing little by little by little, there was a lot of togethers repeated. They were together a lot. They did a lot of things together. They were, they were doing life together. And listen to this, that your connect group, guys, is a tool. Your connect group is a tool. And so the question about that tool is, are you investing in people's lives and opening your life up so that they can invest in you? Or, or is it just, are you just going from thing to thing to thing to thing, just checking a box as you go? Or are you living in the way that Jesus meant for the church to be, to be built up as you see in Scripture? The question isn't about, are you a part of a, a, a diverse church? Are you a, part of a, are you a part of a church that's on mission? Are you a part of a church that is... That are, what, the question is, are you reaching across cultural barrier, barriers personally to, to be with people that you don't know, that, you don't, that don't act like you or look like you or sound like you? Are we, are, we, are we becoming united in that? Are we following Christ in that? And we look at this, and, and, and as we look in this scripture... It says they came together from every nation. This was a very culturally, racially, economically diverse people. All these people didn't talk the same. All these people didn't look alike or sound alike. They didn't smell the same. They looked different. And it's important that we see that this is the church that God came to establish in the world. And what are we saying? And what we're seeing in this place is a natural response to the gospel for them. And I've heard people say all the time, like, I've actually literally heard this, I'm not getting much out of Connect Group. I don't get much out of Connect Group, so it's not for me. And I have to hold my tongue and, and repent after that for thoughts, you know? But, but look how Scripture puts it. Look how Scripture phrases it. It says, they devoted themselves to one another. Look, the point isn't really how much you're getting out of it. The point's not really, I'm not, I, what's it doing for me? That is the most American phrase I've ever heard in my life. The point is that we're giving ourselves away so that God can use our lives to encourage others. It's important that we understand that the irony behind all of this is the moment that you start giving yourself away to the church, to Jesus, to the community, you start getting stuff from it. You start, you start getting fulfilled by it. You start, you start getting fulfilled by something that you weren't getting fulfilled by before because your heart's starting to change. And it's like a family. I look at my wife, I look at my kids, I look at Braxton and Chloe and Savannah, and I don't go home and base my participation in my family based on whether they can give me something or not. I don't go home and be like, hey, Braxton, you know, you are one, so I get it, but you're not really fulfilling my desires for my life, so we're not gonna hang out anymore, I'm gonna go do my thing. No, I'm devoted to them. I'm giving my life for Braxton, for Chloe, for Savannah. I've, given them, I've committed to live my entire life loving them forever. That, that means now and that means 50 years from now and however else long I'm going to live. I, I get stuff from my family, but it's not about me approaching it that way. As I, get, I, get, I need something for myself. No, if they don't fulfill me, I'm going to another family. No, that's stupid. That is, not, that, is, that is the ignorant. And if you need to talk about that later, we can. The, the church needs to stop being consumers. The church needs to start being disciples who are devoted to one another and giving themselves away for one another. Listen, you can't love Jesus and not like his church. That's in Scripture throughout the Bible. Listen, that's, that's, it's impossible to say, hey, I'm a Christian, and not be radically devoted to Jesus and his church. It's important to understand that. Number three, God's presence. The third thing they were devoted to was God's presence. You look in, um, you look where it says they they broke bread. They were breaking the bre the bread. Listen, I really want this to be talking about food. I really do about eating food together, but it's not. It's talking about the Lord's Supper. It's referring to communion together, coming together and, and having communion together. The Lord's Supper, what it was, was a special time. We looked at about it. We looked at it every time when we're doing communion together. When Jesus has promised the church that He's going to be very present. He's going to be in a powerful way. He's going to be with us in that moment as we remember his, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. His, as we remember that together, we're coming together in common union to make sure that we're celebrating Jesus' life, burial, and resurrection through the gospel. And when you combine that with the Holy Spirit now living in all of us, man, that's powerful. 
There's something happening there that's powerful. And when they came together as a church, guess what? When they came together to worship, to read the Bible, to pray, to do the Lord's Supper, when they came to those moments, they expected to experience God. They walked in the doors like, yes, we're expecting to experience the presence of God. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, you can look at it yourself later, write it down, that they came ready to engage with the presence of Christ. When they came to church, they came ready. They came to gather. They came to gatherings and, and worship. They came to Bible studies, and they were prayed up. They were filled with the Spirit, and they were ready to hear the words of God and ready to be used by God to encourage others. They were ready to see someone who had a need, and they were going to meet that need. It wasn't about them coming to church and hearing a nice little spiritual pep talk and hearing some good songs and feeling good about themselves and then leaving. That was not church. That's not how church was. They came ready to experience God. And so what about you this morning? When you go to connect group, when you go to church, what are you expecting? Are you living in expectancy? Are you coming to get a, a spiritual itch scratched? Are you expecting to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, with, with the Spirit of God living inside his people? Or do you expect to experience God? Or you, do you come here, to, like I said, to hear a pep talk? Are you, are you going to your connect groups full of the Spirit? Are you going literally with the fire of God living inside of you, ready to be used for what God wants to do in your life through you? Or are you going to hang out with friends because it's fun? Because it is fun. But are, is that why we're going? It's important to understand. Here's a personal test, and you're about to get on me for this, but I don't even care. Listen. Do you come to church late or, or, leave, or, or leave early? Do you go to group late or, or leave earlier? Or do you miss a lot? Are you here and there? Does it, does it take that to make you miss church or make you miss connect group? Like, where are you at in that? Like, do you miss weeks at church consistently? Are you always calling in sick? This, this, uh, listen, you're like, Michael, you're being a little, little legalistic here with this one. Listen, I'm like, listen, if you knew that Jesus himself in the flesh, well, let's just be, let's, let's, let's sit up this scenario. In the flesh was going to be in service today. What would stop you from being here? Not a thing. Nothing could stop you. There would be, you would be here at 5 a.m. I'm ready to see Jesus. I got to see him. I'm, ready, I'm, I'm going to be up front. I'm going to, be, I'm going to get my camping chair. We're going to sit at the front door and wait. I got to wait. I got to, I got to see. I got to see him today. Would you not? We all would. I would. Like we wouldn't, if we knew that he was going to be here in the flesh, nothing could stop you from coming here. But the thing is, this tells me that there's a faith problem in the church. Whenever the church kind of gets thrown to the side or connect group kind of gets thrown to the side, it says they were devoted to one another. They were family. They didn't, it wasn't like, a, I, that, that's the first thing I'll cut. I got to do this this weekend. No, they were family. The, the, the spirit of God resided in that place. And I think we have a severe problem in the church today with what we expect when we come to church. We're meeting with God, the creator. <laughs> wow. Listen, God is present with his people. When we come together, God is here with us, inside of us, living through us. Listen, I'm a big Georgia Bulldog fan, right? Go dogs, okay? Uh, when I go to a game, or when I watch a game on TV and nobody bring up last year's or the year before his championship because I got a little out of hand. Listen, um, I got to repent a lot, okay? So I get fired up, man. Now, I kick people out of my house if they lose. I get fired up, okay? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell me to get fired up for the Georgia Bulldogs. You don't have to tell me to put my shirt on. Or my Georgia Bulldogs shirt. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell me to get fired up about the Georgia Bulldogs because I love them. I'm fired up. I mean, I'm, let's, go watch the, let's go watch them now. Let's go do it. Let's, but why do we get so fired up? Why do we do things like, like sporting events with more excitement than we bring in the place where we meet the Spirit of God? Like people stand in church and worship with sheer boredom on their face. And okay. In sermons, man, good grief. This is the scariest place to be a lot of the times. Every week, people are looking at me with these blank stares on their face. Like, like I'm speaking Japanese or something. And listen, our posture before God, our posture is, will always expose our expectations to meet with God. Our posture will always expose our reverence before God. 
Listen, and it's important that we see that because there's multiple. You look through scripture, there's multiple things in the Bible when people do when they come into the presence of God. Being bored is never one of them. Being bored or sitting down or just kind of like, no, that's never a thing when they come into the presence of God. If you don't think the presence of God is in this place, then you're at the wrong church. It's important that we see that. It's important that we understand that being bored is never one of verse 43. says, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe. Not just Eric, not just somebody else, not just Stacy or somebody else on staff or Thomas in the back. Or not, not, we weren't just, everyone was filled with awe at what was going on. God was moving. People were moving. When God is present, there is a hushed sense of awe of God. I can't move without you. I can't live without you. When God is present, his presence, when God is present, is undeniable. So does a spirit of awe define our church? Does a spirit of awe and wonder, God, I love you. God, come in this place. Is that how we worship? Is there a spirit of awe in your connect group? Is God moving your connect group in a way that's tangible? You can see God moving, growing people. And I'm not just talking about a goosebump, guys. I'm not talking about, oh, that was, that was a good keyboard line right there. It got me going. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the spirit of God moving in his people. Or is this just something that we do on Sunday or on Wednesday or Friday or wherever your connect group meets? What is it to you? Last thing, they prayed. <laughs> prayer, they were devoted to prayer. They seemed to feel this dependency on God that they knew unless God moved, they were in trouble. They prayed all the time. When Peter was in prison, they prayed. When they got in trouble, they prayed. When they had a financial need, they prayed. When, when, when they was good, they prayed. When they were walking down the street, they prayed. They had this sense of urgency and dependency on who God was in their life, and they had seen the, the vision, the mission. If, if the Great Commission is read to you and you're a Christian, there should be a weight that comes on you. If you're a true Christian in this place today, somebody who has truly been born again, the Great Commission should be weighing on your shoulders a little bit where you have to go to God and say, God, use me. I can't hold this weight on my own. I need you to show me how to do this. There is a dependency on God. Because if you go in this trying to make disciples by yourself, crush. You can't do it without him. And that's what they were feeling. They were feeling this huge assignment that, that Jesus had laid on top of them. And then he left. And they're like, what? <laughs> This is getting weird. Listen, and the Holy Spirit came. And so my question for you is, do you feel that same dependency on God? This is real stuff here. Stuff you do out there, that's not as real as this. This is something that should permeate every ounce of our life. Do we think that we can do these things on our own? Do we think we can make it to God without Jesus by doing some good things in our life? Do we think that Jesus is not important to get to God? Do we think that we know the way to heaven? I'm telling you, without Jesus, you don't know the way to heaven. It's important that we see that Jesus is the only way. We need to be able to get to a place in our lives where we say, God, if you don't move, I'm in trouble. God, if you don't take this, I'm in trouble. God, are we putting ourselves in those types of situations where without God, I can't do this? And let me tell you, the first step is your next step. And people with that kind of dependency on God, they don't have to be told to pray. Do you struggle in your prayer life? Or do you struggle praying every day? Do you struggle being in constant prayer like it talks about in scriptures? Pray without ceasing. And do you struggle with being connected to the Father in that way? Because people who have given themselves over to God have felt the weight of what it looks like to follow God without Jesus, and they need Jesus. So they start praying, God, please come, please come. Let me feel your presence in this moment because I know you're here, God, but are you testing me? God, show me, God. Help me deal with this, Lord. Show me, give me wisdom in this moment. Give me discernment, God. Help me to speak the words that you want me to speak. Because I'll tell you what prayerlessness is. Prayerlessness is a sign that you've forgotten how dependent you are on God to do what you were called to do. It's important that we see that. It's important that when you stop praying, it's you saying, God, I got this, and doing your own thing. It's important that we come before him with arms wide open, hearts wide open, saying, God, use me. And so what we have to see here is the problem is not more self-discipline in your life. I'm going to white knuckle it. I'm going to get up at five. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all these different things. It's not more self-discipline. 
The problem is you need more self-awareness of your dependency on God to work in your life or else you're hopeless. So that being said, the problem is your view of God is too small and your view of you is too big. And it's important that we see that that needs to be turned on its head. And so if you look back in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. People were being saved daily as the church was being devoted to these four things. And so we see the church that devotes itself to these things has the power to demonstrate the power of the gospel and the reality of the spirit in, of God in us as we start devoting ourselves to these things. Listen, God is invisible, but the church is supposed to make him visible by the, by the way that we follow him. Listen, it's important that, that we paint a picture that shows the world who Jesus is. And the way that we do that is we devote ourselves to these four things and allow God to work in us and use us and show us the things that he's trying to create in us and to be obedient as he's leading us. The, the church takes its, its works, its generosity, and it starts painting this picture of who Jesus is. This is why Christians should be radically generous. Listen, we talk about tithing not enough in the church. Listen, if we're worshiping money, you don't get the gospel. Like Christians who don't give to God does not make scriptural sense. It's important that we see that we have this saying here that people, people who have experienced God's extravagant grace become extravagantly generous people. If you experience God, God's grace, you become extravagantly generous. I was talking to someone on the way here this morning. They're not here, so I can talk about them. Yes. So I'll tell you this. This morning, they were, they were sharing, like, God has been working in our lives. We, we've, been, we've been giving away things that, that, that we've been, we, our, our savings account is a tenth of what it used to be, and we're not sure how we're going to pay the bills this month, but God keeps providing. They're giving their stuff away for people. They're starting to understand what it looks like to be generous. And a lot of people are like, That's, that doesn't make sense. That tells me you don't understand the gospel. Yeah, you haven't experienced who God is and what he's done in your life. It's important that we see that heaven went bankrupt to send Jesus for you. He gave everything for you to come to him. It's important that we understand that, guys, as a church. So today, I want to ask you, at home, at your work, at, 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 at you know, all these play church, what do people see when they look at your life personally? Do they see someone who who's, has Jesus on display? Do they see someone who's radically generous and, or, or are they radically selfish? <laughs> or do you see, do your kids at home, do they see you being radically devoted to the church? Or do they see you kind of loosely committed here and there? Are, are you devoted to the message of the gospel and the things that the disciples and the 3,000 were devoted to if you are, these things are going to be true about you. You'll be devoted to the message, to the church. And here's the truth of what I know to be confident on today is the, the measure to which you've given yourself to these things is the measure that you actually believe the gospel. Because the gospel is more than just knowing about God. The gospel is more than just knowing Jesus' name. I believe in Jesus. I believe that God exists, right? No, that doesn't save you. James says that, that Satan and the demons know who Jesus is. They even know who he truly is. But it takes more than a head knowledge to be saved. It takes more than a head knowledge to walk into heaven. It takes more than a head knowledge to be, to be associated with God for eternity. Because saving faith will always lead to action and to life change in your life. You don't work for this life change. It flows from an experience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. These people that were in Jerusalem, they didn't go to Jerusalem to say, I'm going to get saved today. They walked in Jerusalem. They had a radical encounter with Jesus, the Spirit of God living in his people. This morning, you may be here, and you, didn't, you probably didn't say, hey, I'm going to church to get saved this morning. Let's do this thing. No. But maybe God has hit you in the face with Scripture this morning. Maybe God says, today is today for you to turn your life over to me. 
maybe today is the day that you're supposed to surrender your life to me and to stop playing these games with your life like you're in control, like you can control any of this anyway. I know from experience that I can't control my life, and I'm sure you know the same thing. And so if you're in here this morning, one of the last songs that we sang together was called The Goodness of God. And I got emotional as I said there. I had to hold it back. Like, God is so good. He knows what I've done in my life. He knows the dirty places that I've been, the dirty sins of my past. He knows the deepest, darkest hole of my thoughts. And yet he still sent his son to die for me in my place so that I can live forever with him. And so this morning, I know there's people in this room that don't know Jesus. I know there's people in this room that have been skating that line saying, I know who God is, I'll be good. I'm living good enough. I'm, I'm my, my good always my bad. All these other things that the enemy tries to lie to you about. The only way to God is Jesus. And when I say that, I mean a, a radical, just connected love for him where you've experienced his love and you've shunned the enemy's conviction because if I'm talking to you right now and you need Jesus, the enemy's probably saying, no, nah, that's not you, that's not you, that's not you, that's not you. And if I'm talking to you, it's probably the person's heart that's beating 90 miles an hour. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. Let him have you. Let him hold your heart in that moment. And so this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity because we do this every week. We have people in this place that want to pray with you. Specifically, if you had never turned your life over to Jesus in a way where I'm talking about you're devoting yourselves to these things and your life has begun to change and God is moving in your life and you're seeing evidence of your faith. I'm not talking about you've raised a hand here or you got baptized here and nothing's ever done anything. You've been religious for 50 years. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you come into face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you've repented of your sins and you say, God, you're my King, you're my Lord. Wherever you say go, wherever you say do, I'm doing that. That's salvation. And so this morning, if that's you, if you want to make that decision, I will pray with you personally if you want that. But if that's you, I want to ask you to do something bold because what Jesus did on the cross for you was bold by being raised onto the cross for all to see and to ridicule to take your sins for you. And I just want to ask you this morning, that's a decision that you need to make. Would you raise your hand so we can pray with you? Make it a bold state. Make it a bold state. This is a big next step for somebody here this morning. I know it is. Is that anybody? Okay. If it's not you, we're about to go into a song of worship. There's people on the sides over here. The moment's not past. You can go to them and say, hey, I need Jesus. You walk up to one of these people and say, I need Jesus. They'll handle the rest. I promise. Okay. Um, there's two verses that we read this morning. Verse 42 said that, that they devoted themselves to these things. Verse 47 says that God added to their number daily. If you're not making, the, uh, if you're not doing business with God today, I pray that you would pray these two things about our church. Pray that we would be devoted to these four things. God, help us be devoted to these things. And then that God would add to our number every day. Those are being saved. Those are being changed. Those are being moved. And so let me pray for us. And as I pray, you can come. Come to the altar. Come and stay at your seat. This is a safe place. This is not a place of shame. So God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We praise you for the cross. We praise you for the gospel. God, we praise you for um, just the, the, the lives in this place that you're trying to change. God, I pray that you would soften hearts. God, that you would make a way for someone to, to experience uh, you in a, in a way this morning that shows them that you love them and that you're not mad at them. God, I pray, Father, for new life to be established today, God, that people wouldn't be looking at a clock, but they would be looking at the Son of God, Father, to save them from their sins, God, and give them a new life, a new start, God. So we love you. We praise you, God. All this is for your glory. God, we, we, just, we just pray that you would just come this moment. In your name we pray. Amen.